You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 120. Some things are never going to be on a performance review or uh, any kind of a report, but they're really the key steps that as a manager you see an employee needs to do to succeed. So being really specific about that. And there's interesting research that shows for every optimal teams have a three to one ratio of positive to negative interactions. And affirmation through appreciation is a positive interaction. And I think that's interesting because the bad feels worse than the good feels good. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Meg Rinchler. So whether you are joining us as you're driving to work today, whether you're listening from home, maybe you're walking the neighborhood or you're at the gym, I just want to thank you for making Star Coaches a part of your week. And you are definitely going to feel the value today as we speak with Julie Davis Cullen about one of my favorite subjects, the impact of positive psychology on coaching and our mindset. And I'm going to tell you more about that in just a minute, but I do want to take a quick moment to do a shout out to one of our listeners. Golden Gate 47 on Apple Podcasts has left a review and I just want to shout out to it. Golden Gate 47, who says, such a great resource. As a new coach, this resource is invaluable. I have loved every single episode and have gained so much knowledge. Thank you, Meg, and all of your amazing guests. Thank you, Golden Gate 47, for taking the time to leave a review. I'm so glad that the show is being valuable to you. I had new coaches in mind as I put the show together and hearing that it's bringing value and helping people meet their goals as coaches is exactly what I love to hear. So thank you for taking the time to leave a review. And if you would like to leave a review and possibly get a shout out on the show, I would appreciate it. It does increase traffic to our show, and I want more and more coaches to get the value that our incredible guests bring. Speaking of incredible guests, today I am talking with Julie Davis Collin, who co-founded the L Group Inc., which is a management consulting firm serving leaders since 1999. So Julie works with uh, executives and leadership teams around positive behavior change. She focuses on organizational health and peak performance. She has co-authored six popular books, including Stick With It, Getting the Best of Yourself and Others, and the focus of our interview today, which is her most recent book, The Power of Positive Coaching. Now, Julie and I are going to do a dive into both the mindset beyond 
behind positive coaching as well as the behaviors that go along with that. It is such fun to spend time with her looking at, like I said, one of my favorite subjects, which is the power of positive focus and positive psychology and how that impacts our interactions with others. Julie has a master's degree in preventative medicine from the Ohio State University. So we sort of joked about that because I went to her rival school, got my master's at the University of Michigan. So we we had a, a little fun with that. But Julie just brings information nonstop. And I know you're going to enjoy our interview. So let's go to my interview with Julie Davis-Collin. Welcome to the Star Coach Show. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Well, I was fortunate enough to be introduced to you just as you and your husband were getting ready to release a new book. By the way, you guys are writing a book. It looks like every other minute you have, you're just prolific with your books. But this book is so exciting. And we're going to get into it and share with the audience ways that they can grow and learn and, and use this as a resource for themselves and for their clients. I'd like to start, though, with maybe just learning a little bit about what brought you into this field and, and maybe motivated you to begin to write. Okay. My background is actually in behavioral sciences, in health promotion, behavior change, and population education. I worked many years with the American Heart Association's National Center and really worked in corporate settings with, you know, encouraging positive behavior change with employees. My master's is in an area called preventive medicine. So I've been encouraging positive behavior health change for years. Married to and married with my partner and husband, whose background is in organization, industrial organizational psychology. So he's an IO psychologist who was a VP of human resources and many things before we started our company together 20 years ago. So our company focuses on leadership and really helping tool up both people at the highest level and, you know, managers and then individuals to do their very best at leading themselves and leading others. So this new book is one tool in that chest to help people really get the best from themselves and others. Excellent. And that really speaks to my heart. As many of our listeners will know, you know, I left the field of psychotherapy to be able to go into coaching to create healthier work environments because I was seeing so much dysfunction Mm -hmm. that was kind of sending people into therapy. And I continue to be a strong believer in the field of therapy, but I also think that we can affect some change for people kind of in the workplace. And I love what your book sort of offers in that whole arena in helping leaders be stronger leaders through coaching. Now you talk about, the book is titled The Power of Positive Coaching. So right there, if that doesn't like pop you in the heart, I don't know, The Power (laughs) of Positive Coaching. So what led to your, like the creation of this book? Mm -hmm. Well, we had done a book before that just focused on actually the coaching behaviors. And that was what I'll call necessary, but not sufficient. And as we did more research, once we wrote that book, we really looked at 
the key ingredient in the coaching is really to get your own mindset correct. Then to help others get theirs correct so you can make behavior change. It is an inside out job and starting with yourself is, is most critical. So when we added that, I'm also studying the field of positive psychology through the Flourishing Institute, which coincides with this and really learning about the science of neurobiology, what you can see now, what you can prove, the scientific documentation of positive psychology in a variety of realms, and really trying to capitalize on that information and use it so that we can really apply that to get the best from ourselves. So it's not just the the coaching piece in terms of behaviors out, but it's really behaviors in and thoughts within that it starts with. So you have that laid out in such a way that that you look at positive coaching mindset first, and there's four pieces of that, and then it goes into habits. So if if we were to start with the mindset and building right into that positive psychology education that you're getting and just bringing that forward, what's most important for us to think about when we think about the positive coaching mindset? I think the most interesting thing is really research from Fredrickson it builds on what's called the broaden and build model. And there's research to show that when one is positive, the number of options that you think of in terms of solutions is much more expansive than when you have a narrow and negative reaction. And in life as complicated, as busy, and as sometimes very rapid firing as it is, things come at you, your ability to not react and respond with a positive effect and look at what can we do. Um, it's just good for business. I mean, it ties into strengths coaching. There's data to show that people that, you know, work with strengths coaching model versus others improves. Let me see like employee proficiency by like 36.4% versus the negative, which can even decrease on 26.8%. So whether it's that or there's financial data that shows you know, coaches, I mean, employers that have leaders with positive coaching styles have better financial returns. So, I mean, they, it, it feels better, it does better, and it is better. So there's just the data abounds for that. But if you just took one thing and you looked at that broaden and build, which you're familiar with, to think, you know, I have one reaction and it could be a bad idea, or I can quickly, you know, from a positive perspective, generate a lot of ideas and then pick one or maybe even execute two or three, depending on the situation, the success rate is much higher and it's much more pleasant. So you, it's like a no-lose proposition. Well, and I love you guys in the book, you talk about mental virus protection. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, how spot on. You know, we get protection for viruses for our computers, but what about our own mental virus protection? I thought that was so powerful. Absolutely. And, you know, controlling what you put in your mind. And so many people just, you know, you might even get a flu shot to protect against a virus, but we don't, you know, put one in there. But it's being very intentional about what you consume, what you read, and intentional about what you put out. Because we have that mirroring effect for what you put out comes back. And if you're not careful about that, I'm, you know, you just got negativity flourishing in your mind, which you don't want. And, and current research shows you know, your brain actually creates pathways based on your thoughts. And you can dig in a deep divot of negativity or create lots of new positive routes. And I think we would all prefer the latter. 
Right. If if we kind of give ourselves the focus to be able to think about that we yes. have these choices to make. Yes. So one of the things we didn't mention that I think is important is that this book is actually written sort of teaching organizations how to coach from within. And yet our audience, who is primarily coaches, it's certainly a resource that they could use working with clients as well. So how do you see sort of, I guess, in in like best case scenario, how do you Mm -hmm. see this book being used? Well, you know, we've all come through the days where coaching, when Julie had a coach, you knew, ooh, she's on her way out. Like, ooh, that's bad news. To Julie has a coach, I want one because that signals that I'm a great performer and people want to help me do uh, more of that. Unfortunately, there's an economic limit to how far that can go. Most organizations or companies can't employ a coach for every single person. So for those that are able to get coaching from your coaches, fantastic. But it's very likely that those they coach may not have coaches for their employees. So this is a tool for every leader to help them very easily with, you know, just do it. We, We are big on at a glances and actionable behaviors so that it's not a big script where if then this, that, You know, it's just very simple and straightforward. Just do this and you'll get this. And we've field tested these for years. We've together coached about 100,000 people over all of our 20 years in business. So we have a lot of field tested experience in putting these together. So I guess the hallmark of any of our interventions, and this isn't any different, is it's field tested and time tested and it's evergreen. So it's not a pop culture, um, you know, although you know, some of the positivity is is more in the news now. It's an evergreen concept, you know, and it's not going to change. You know, the research may get deeper, but there's there are really concrete principles upon which they're built. So I would see it as a tool for perhaps those who your coaches coach to help take this to their employees, their families, their base to expand that benefit even more throughout the organizations. And I certainly see that in in doing a dive into the book. I mean, it's just that those four elements of positive mindset, and and I'd like us to kind of touch on each one of those, but then, you know, then that moves into how do we marry that with these five positive coaching habits? Right. Very doable for, it's sort of like a way to translate what's happening in coaching in a way that somebody who's being coached can also then turn that around and share that knowledge and that experience with the people that they work with, like you said, because it's a very, it's like rich and yet sort of simple in a way. Yes. That way, yeah. that, that way you appreciate that you find it that way. Simple isn't easy, but I, I guess I would backtrack for the listeners just to put the big picture together. And it is that they, it's really a two-part model. Mm-hmm. The mindset part, which is comprised of four elements, and we'll go into those, and then the behaviors part and the habits. Mm-hmm. And that is five elements. And so for each of those are very easily translatable, actionable items that people can do to make these things come together. And it's an inside out model where really the first part is about getting your head together and kind of looking at a mirror and seeing how well you're doing this. Because there's nothing stronger than walking the talk. Right. It's not that we have to be perfect, and but we admit when we don't. But that message of your own behavior is so strong. It's the strongest thing, whether you're a parent or you're a, a, you know, a leader, a manager, or even a fellow employee. 
you know, they, we always say that the, you know, the indicator of performance is the lowest level that's tolerated. You know, if everybody sees that Julie does a really bad job, oh, and she's still there, then that's okay. So we're looking to raise that so that everyone's doing their very best job and it makes you feel better, makes your company do better, translates then over to your family. It's just a cascading positive effect. Well, and I think it also introduces ideas that maybe people are either unaware of or just not tuned into. So when we look at that positive coaching mindset, it starts Mm -hmm. with knowing your thoughts, Mm -hmm. which sounds basic, but it's really powerful. So what are some things about knowing your thoughts that are, are just so imperative to know? Well, one of them you talked about and you alluded to earlier, which was the virus protection, really controlling your inputs. We do not allow malware into our computers because it would pollute it. And being just more conscientious about what we allow in our minds, being more selective about that which we read, that which we listen to, and that even comes into people. You know, there are people in your lives and sometimes they're a part of your life and you can't change it, but there are many people you can choose to be associated with. We used to have a cab driver as an example, and he took us to the airport every time and we would just say, we would just feel bad about our experience. Then one day we're like, and why do we do that? Yeah, and we're hiring him because why? That's a choice, you know? But I mean, even though we do this, like we had to have it on our toes, like that's a choice we were making. Okay, we now choose not to have that experience on a regular basis and choose someone else. And you you have to be thinking about your thoughts. And, you know, there's a very powerful thing in terms of looking for the positive. We all know people who are kind of like Eeyore and like, oh, oh, wowsy, wowsy, woo, woo. And that tends to spread. And, you know, when you have that bright outlook, not only does it spread, but it, it really filters your own, your own view. There is a mechanism in your, in your brain, the reticular activating system that actually, when you put a thought in there, starts to work between your conscious and your subconscious mind to help you see more of that. And training will often do, we'll always talk about the yellow car phenomenon. And unless you're in, in New York City, yellow cars aren't that common. But I guarantee you by talking about a a yellow car now, and I want you to think about a yellow car, that was in the next 24 hours, you're going to say, wow, Julie, like knew where I was and orchestrated something. You will see yellow cars and the positive behavior in employees and such is a yellow car. You look for those positive things, you're going to see more of them, more to reinforce very specific behaviors that are in alignment with your culture and the output that you want within your team and your company. So that, I think, in, in the thoughts area is, is really a very critical one. It's just being, you know, paying attention to the positive things. If you're a parent, you've seen that, you know, kids want attention no matter what, and they might do negative things. And if you start giving that attention, well, you're going to get a whole lot of that. Right. And most people want to, people want to do a good job. So mm-hmm. They appreciate that. Not that we don't have things that we can improve, but if your focus is on the positive, you're going to get more of that and and less of the remedial things that you need to bring into the positive light. Absolutely. And what about knowing your purpose? The key thing here, really, we look at, and you know, there was an old term long time ago of servant leadership, but really the job of a leader manager is to serve other people. It just isn't about you. It has nothing to do with you. You are given a gift to be in charge of people, but it's not about you and it's not about your ego. So it's really about 
your purpose is to serve others. And, and using this system, it's really a, a tool to help you serve them best and most easily, given that that's not your only job. That's just a little piece. The management part is just a little piece of bringing the vision, the product to market, the service, whatever you do, and trying to make that as easy as possible to just add water so that that becomes what I would call something that's very easy and you can become unconsciously competent at that. But for most people, they haven't been trained as a manager or a leader. You exactly. get that as a reward for doing whatever you had done on a more detailed level well. And right. so we want to, whatever level you are, be able to give you a tool that uses this. And your purpose is just thinking about that. The one thing is I'm here to serve them, whether we serve customers, whether we you know, take our, our an innovation center to get more ideas out to give to product development, whatever it is, my role is to get the best of them. It's the most important thing I do. So in purpose, I would say that's the most important purpose. And Mm -hmm. if you kept one thing in mind, that would be the key thing. Excellent. And then we want to, and this is so key as well, know our values. How does that impact? Yeah. Very often a, a company will have a set of corporate values. Your team might even have a set. And values are interesting. They're universally good. I mean, no one has a bad value they put out there. But the key is, how do you convert that into action? What does that look like? Because a value as a word has little meaning until you see it converted into action. So one of the key points here is converting them into observable behaviors. And whether you sit around as a team and say, okay, if our value is accountability, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. And, And a simple way to look like that is, that I personally will do what I say I'll do. Now, that seems like the simplest, lowest bar. But as I always tell my kids, if you simply, simply do what you say you're going to do, you differentiate yourself from like 80% of the world. And that is such a strong message. So if you focus on, you know, the value of it, as an example, accountability and doing for you, each you, whoever you are, doing what you say you're going to do. And when you can't, being, you know, proactive and upfront. I, I told you I would do this, Meg. I'm sorry. I, you know, I over anticipated that I could do this more quickly than I could, which we all do. We want to please, right? right? Mm-hmm. I'll try to learn from that next time. But, you know, and just modeling the behavior you want to see. So I would say, you know, walking the talk and, mm-hmm. and just doing what you say you're going to do as an example of converting a value into action, which would be one of the points in, in that area. Excellent. So then we, and and what's interesting is that this whole piece of emotions almost used to, just like it used to be a bad thing to be coached and now, thank goodness, it used to be, you know, in coaching, we don't talk about emotions. That's Mm -hmm. therapy. But the reality is as a whole being, we have emotions are very much a part of who we are and how we interact. And unless we're all a bunch of Dr. Spocks, this is going to be a reality of our coaching. So Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about knowing your emotions. Okay. And so, you know, I always look at the continuum of consulting, coaching, and then counseling. And it's a continuum. And this doesn't get us closer, even though we're talking about emotions to the counseling But acknowledging that as human beings, we do have emotions. And one of my favorite quotes is Stephen Covey's that says, unexpressed emotions don't go away. They just rear their head in uglier ways. And so by acting like we don't have them, 
we're just letting them come out usually in snide comments or looks or I love, uh, they're called micro expressions, which are, I've, I've only recently learned about those and you can quantify them. They might be just a little sneer of the lip, but they share so much information and have such a significant impact. So one of the very simple tips would be even keeping a private journal. And I know that seems, you know, like, ooh, like a diary when you're a grown up. But many of us have been angry at someone. And the best thing you can do is write it out. Now, that other person likely never sees that. But you can get your feelings out. So then you can kind of take an emotion lasts an average of 90 seconds. And you're feeling on fire then. Put it out and then take away, noodle on it, come back. Well, usually we've overreacted and we have reacted and we haven't responded. So to have a place as an example, to get those out. Mm-hmm. And I think writing is great. It doesn't have ears. It doesn't have a memory and it's private and there's no need to share it with somebody else. Something that you're really having a human reaction to that you want to really gain control over and have a suitable response to. So I would just say, even though that's not something that a lot of grownups do in the workplace, Having a private journal where you can just write down, you know, I can't believe Julie reacted that way. It really made me mad when she did whatever, blah, blah, blah. Keep that in there. Revisit that. Mm-hmm. And then with release, a more, it. Mm-hmm. release it. And then go forward with, well, okay, what am I going to do about this? Is there something I can do to manage this in the future? What part did I have in that? What was my input? And, and start to then make sure that you're, to the greatest extent you can, that you're having a piece of the solution so that this doesn't happen the same way again. Right. Because when we hold it in, we just kind of ruminate about it. And it just becomes far more powerful than I call, you know, journaling sort of purging it out. Just purge it out. And and then then it loses some of its power. And as you said, then it puts you in a place of being able to decide. So now what do I do with that? And, you know, the interesting thing about not getting it out is when you do ruminate over it, it feels like it happens again. So you can do a 90 second charge and a 90 second and it seems then that something was very small. Now it is like the biggest issue in the world because it happened so many times like snowball. It didn't really happen that many times, but it felt like it did. And if you just extinguish that right away, just a quick and easy way to kind of get those emotions out so that they're private and then you can come back and do something productive with them and respond instead of react. And then that other person who really did only do it once, whatever it was, (laughs) isn't getting walloped with having done it, you know, 20 times when it was an exchange that maybe they're not even aware impacted you the way that it did. Absolutely. And and was not intended the way you took it. So much behind that. But yeah, just getting it out and not ruminating and not re-experiencing instant replay when that is not necessary. So I, I, I just go to that Stephen Covey you get it out the uglier ways that it re, that it's re, you know portrayed in later times. It just it minimizes that. So those are the pieces of kind of dealing within. Yes. Before we deal with others, and anything else about the positive coaching mindset that we didn't touch on that you want people to know about? Just I, I think that maybe again the difference is it just really focuses on strengths. It's strengths coaching. It really looks at what people do best, and mm-hmm. I think ultimately. Everyone would want to work in their sweet spot. Not everything we do is the best, but if you, I always go back to, I grew up in a real estate household. So highest and best use and the highest and best use of Julie is not an accountant. 
I hate numbers. I don't even remember numbers, but my highest and best use might be, I might be the idea person. So understanding people's strengths, whether that's their whole job or we're working on a project and you know, ah, Meg, this is her, this is her specialty. This is Julie's. When you, when you people work in that sweet spot, they light up and it doesn't even feel like work. It is like play. And so the more, you know, you can understand people's strengths, the more, whether it's just, again, assignment to a committee or, you know, growing them in their career so that their job is more in alignment with their strengths would be the key piece. I think also that it's relational, that the the conversation is relational. It's not a, a controlling dialogue. It's genuine and it's authentic and it's really intended to help both parties and achieve better things. There's no punitive. It's not remedial. It's just all moving what we'd say, you know, north of of neutral. Mm -hmm. It's all intended to go in a positive direction. The other, I guess the key piece then, the final would be just the organizational impact it can have. It's so significant in terms of the financial impact, in terms of people's well-being. You know, we have a tight job market. So people want to stay where they have their best friend and in a positive environment. And so all of these things work toward both maintaining employees and employees putting out their best foot forward. That leads to higher financial returns and, you know, overall goodness. But it starts with these baby steps of a building block to do so. Wow. And I just happen to believe that mindset is so important. I know we spent a lot of time around mindset, but it's sort of foundational, as you said. I mean, it's just the piece that everything else springboards from. So while we might not be able to go into the positive coaching habits or the behavioral piece Mm -hmm. as deeply, I would like to have us touch on what the foundational piece of that is and how you see the mindset then building the habits off of the mindset. I don't right. know that I said that very eloquently, but no, no, it was perfect. I would just say the mindset is the primer. So it's necessary, but not sufficient. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the sufficient part is the habits. And we have five explain, ask, involve, measure, and appreciate. And those are, you know, with the intent of aligning, engaging, creating ownership, accountability, and commitment on behalf of employees. And, you know, if you look at employee engagement and all that, these are specifically delineated to help an employee feel ownership over his or her job, his or her behaviors, and they're translatable into actions very easily. So we have a lot of tools along that. So I guess... Yeah, pick one. Let's let's dive into one. Pick one. So under explain as an example, Mm -hmm. two things that stick out, you know, when one leaves a meeting, just a tool, a who, what, when tool. So that there's no ambiguity when one leaves a meeting and or a coaching session or any, and, you know, having an employee when they go to other meetings, who's going to do what, by when, and what are they going to do? Very simple accountability tools, as an example, or debriefing. As a mom, I, I know I use this, oh, extensively. We'd go into anything, a dry cleaner, then we get in the car and we have a conversation. My kids learned that word very easily. They go, mom, is there any place we're going to go where we don't debrief? And I was like, hey, no, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> debriefing is very powerful. It's real time. It's not waiting. It's not emotional. It's just like factual. This happened. This is what we could do better in the future. So I think that debriefing after meetings and presentations, milestones is key. Thinking under ask, one of the just easy points is being silent after you ask a question. I do not know what makes human nature just want to fill in. If a person takes a moment to think, we're just like, oh, you know, you fill in with whatever 
and allowing people to, to process and think, particularly when you're talking about important things, their own behavior, their own livelihood, their own family, whatever their organizations are, they're leading. It's important stuff. So it mm-hmm. is okay to ask a question and wait, wait. in silence for a response. And I, I think that's just a very easy, it's simple, but it's not, not easy, easy. Say right. that tool within that to, to employ as well. But I love how the, you two put that into ask questions to ignite excitement. Mm-hmm. If you want your questions to land, you know, if you've asked a powerful question or if you've asked a question that makes somebody think, give them time to tap into what that excitement is, tap Absolutely. into what their own brilliance is, tap into whatever it is that that triggers for them. You're Absolutely. not going to know if you walk right over the top of it. You're just, it, it will push it right back down again. And then that excitement won't be ignited per se. Absolutely. Um, and yes. what a loss. A hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. And that, you know, ta- that's again, kind of tapping that sweet spot of your thoughts and your words and your action. Like, you know, there's something that lights us all up. And if any little piece of that got me, I feel like take that, maybe savor it for a second. And some of us are auditory processors and some aren't. So give those, everyone a chance to, to feel that and then be a part of that. I always say that it also comes down to trust, like trusting that the other person can handle it. You know, if you ask a question and they don't get it or they don't know, they'll say, could you Absolutely. ask it another way or yeah. I don't understand. But if they're just quiet, that doesn't necessarily mean rescue me. It might mean let me process what you just gave me. And we're not going to know if we trample right back in on top of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So I love that. Ask questions to ignite excitement. And you talk about involvement and accountability. I mean, you talk about so many things in this book that I think are wonderful tools for us as coaches, certainly sort of a plethora of options for our clients as well. Like, oh, if I do it this way, this can open up this within my team, or it can open up these options in my department or whatever it is. So I just love that that your commitment to coaching is an investment in people. And I think as coaches, we need to be aware of that and help those that we work with be aware of that as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, what else? I guess I'm thinking through a couple other little tidbits in the model. And, and one is it just kind of like human nature, again, under measurement, like we all know about measurement, but I think a visceral way to, for me to think about it is, and we have a ping pong table and, and we watch people play ping pong. And when you're just doing for fun, you can just watch them and there's a certain behavior. As soon as points go into the, as soon as it's a game for real, everything changes. And I think that we all like to know when we win, you know, whatever win is for that. And our behaviors amplify and strategize to win. I mean, how many steps does it take a baby to walk? As many as it takes, because we are in, in human nature, we want to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so measuring when you get to be a grown up and say, you know, here's how I know that we won. You know, some of our clients will keep a huge scoreboard and it's very visible, you know, in this digital age, like a literal scoreboard on the wall. So you can see, you know, at where we are as a company or one as an individual, but really measuring and, and keeping some sort of score and keeping a scoreboard. So you visually see, here's where I am. It seems old school 
and it can be a you know an electronic device, but keeping score is really important and it changes behavior in and of itself just because we are keeping score. And and then the other part of it that just I, I top it off with is just I am very passionate about is about appreciation. Oh yeah. And you know, not not just because of what you did, but who you are and, and learning about individual employees and knowing about family members whose health has, has gone awry and children that have come back home. And then when someone does something well, not to say great job, Meg, but you know, Meg, I really appreciate how you did X, Y, Z very specifically. So in the future, you can know that wasn't just this general praise, but what I will again, repeat, some things are never going to be on a performance review or a, you know, any kind of a report, but they're really the key steps that as a manager, you see an employee needs to do to succeed. So being really specific about that. And there's interesting research that shows for every, that, you know, optimal teams have a three to one ratio of positive to negative interactions and an an affirmation through appreciation is a positive interaction. And I think that's interesting because the bad feels worse than the good feels good. Right. So it takes three positives to negate one negative and negatives can come about so easily. And sometimes we have to be more thoughtful about those three hits that are positive. So I think, again, it all speaks to intentionality and really looking at and looking for and then verbalizing and and focusing on those positive things, kind of running that whole thread through. Such incredibly helpful information. And I so appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to talk to us about your new work and provide a resource to the coaching community. So the name of the book is The Power of Positive Coaching. And Julie, thank you for sharing it with us. Thank you for sharing time with me. I greatly appreciate it. So there you have another interview full of information that you can apply to your coaching. You can apply to helping your clients sort of take life in a different mindset and how that will impact their relationships. I want to thank Julie Davis-Collin for joining us today, for sharing all about this new book that she and her husband have written. And if you'd like to know more about her company, her books, Julie herself, go to the Star Coach Show website, starcoachshow.com. On the resource page, you'll find all the information you need. I also want to encourage you to tune back in next week when Dr. Jacqueline Peters is joining us to talk about high performance relationships, the heart and science behind success at both work and home. We had a robust conversation that was, once again, just exactly what I think you want to hear at this given time. So tune back in. And until next week, this is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.